All right, well, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive, where we take a deeper look at the message or the passage topic of focus from the weekend, um, explore things we didn't have time to, or take just a deeper look at some of those things. So uh, my name is Brad. I am joined this week by Chris Bantz. Chris, they can't see your pants, but... I've got the party pants on today. got the party pants on today. Uh, man, it's been a minute. I did, I yeah. think, all of Jude with uh, with Dan because he wrote that series. So hopefully we'll get more of you in this one. Yes. Um, uh, what do I do with my life? That's the title of this series, which is, um, yeah, a fascinating question. It's a question that whether people articulate it or not, I think it's one that we can all resonate with and feel. Yeah, I think for any era of humankind and for any life stage that you're currently in, it's a relevant question. Mm -hmm. Whether you're about to graduate college and you've got the anxiety of where do I intern, where do I apply, what job do I work, where do I live, or you've just recently retired and it's the question of, oh, I've got... 20, 30, 40 hours in my week that I've never had for the last 40 years of my life. How do I steward this well? Yeah, what do I do with it? In, in my later years. So I, I think it's really applicable and it's maybe a, a question that haunts us no matter where we live or, or how old we are. Yeah. So this series, it's a, and I will at the start here say, I've been fighting a cold for a couple of weeks. So if I sound like a little, you know, smooth jazz, like that's, uh, yeah. that's not, uh, I'm not meaning to. Um, but this is going to be a four-week series, mm-hmm. right? And we are somewhat loosely tying it to the book of Ecclesiastes. Yeah, so it's not an expositional series where we're going to walk through the whole book of Ecclesiastes, but every week there's going to be at least one verse <coughs> that serves as kind of an anchor verse for us, um, because I think Ecclesiastes and Solomon mm-hmm. has a lot to say about mm. what we do with our lives. Mm. And he's very wise uh, through the gifts God has given him, he gets the gift of wisdom, but also he's a guy that has experienced quite literally everything under the sun, and mm. so his experience is vast. Um, and it's kind of beautiful because he gets to the end or towards the end of his life, and he's experienced all these things that many of us will never even dream of experiencing. And he kind of gets to this point where everything under the sun is vanity. Mm-hmm if it's not directly tethered to the above the sun God, hmm. the creator of the universe. Um, and there's some like something like really deeply profound yeah. in this revelation to Solomon after he's kind of chased all these paths and he's kind of got to the end of them and realized if God's not there, then what's it all for? Yeah, he's somebody who, um, he's not just a philosopher, right? Who is like thinking about life on a very profound level. He's someone who has experiences that can, you know, essentially validate or verify the things that he's ruminating. Yeah, I mean, the way he writes and describes things uh, lets us know immediately, like, he has experienced that thing. There's no way he could describe that if he hadn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, in some um, some scholarship would, would argue that because – now, to Solomon, he doesn't directly state, right, in the book that it's – it's him, right? So the, yeah, he describes the, himself as that, um, like the the teacher. Yes. The what, what's the the key the, word? The, the preacher. Well, there's a there's a preacher. Yeah. Um, that's in Jerusalem. Um, so yeah, when we look at Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, uh, we have to be a little bit open to the idea 
that not every single word in those books is coming directly from Solomon. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, we see some, it's in the minority, but we actually see some examples of outside sources, maybe even like Gentile sources. Yeah, general general wisdom sayings. Right, right. Um, but for the, the people who would be a little more skeptical of... Uh, Solomon's authorship, I, I would actually find myself in the camp that more relies on a lot of it being from Solomon, yeah. based on the historical context, the experience in which he's speaking into mm-hmm. would actually directly fit really well mm-hmm. with Solomon's life um, and some of the identifiers of like the preacher that's in Jerusalem. So um, I think a lot of it is Solomon, um, even though we, we probably need to be a little open that not 100% of it is. Yeah. What do we do with that? I mean, this kind of piggybacks on the last couple episodes where we talk about how can we have confidence in what we believe and what we read yeah. in our English translations of our Bible 2,000 plus years after it's been written. Um, how can we have confidence that like like that statement, I think it, for some people would be incredibly refreshing, mm-hmm. right? But then for others, it would be highly problematic. What do you mean I can't trust that this is all 100% from Solomon. Well, then can I trust anything? Yeah. So I think wisdom, um, and I'm going to steal this from Zach Eswine, uh, wisdom enjoys the fire even if a fool is the one who lit the match. Hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. We could just make this podcast like one-offs from Zach Eswine. (laughs) Um, So that is to say all truth is God's truth, and even if the source of what is true and good and beautiful does not come from a source that is explicitly from a, a person of God, a mm-hmm. Christian, um, an Israelite in the Old Testament. Even if it doesn't explicitly come from that source, that's not to say it's not good and true and beautiful. Yeah. Um, whether through accident or through ignorance or intention, uh, we can enjoy these things. Yeah, and I think especially when it comes to wisdom literature, which is a good segue to... Um, yeah, what are some interpretive tools, right, that we we need to be aware of or we need to just uh, have in our toolkit for reading and interacting with wisdom literature? Like, what is wisdom literature? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then what are some principles for us? Okay, I'm going to go a little bit down a rabbit trail here. Go for it. <laughs> um, it's what the deep dive's for. So in Colossians 4... <laughs> Paul, um, he talks about walking wisely hmm. towards those who are outsiders. And he, he's in the, the first six verses of Colossians 4, Paul is all about how do we walk wisely with the time we've been given, like the days we've been given. The word for that time in the Greek is kairos. Mm-hmm. It's not chronos. Hmm. Chronos time is like... How do I maximize my efficiency in the next half hour? Yeah. So you can go to Barnes & Noble. You can get a million self-help books on Kronos time. Mm-hmm. How do I maximize the seconds in a minute? Kairos time is actually quite different. Kairos time is actually um, it's, it's a gift. It's an age. It, it's, it's what we've been entrusted with. It's, it's actually being wise with the time we're given, it's less about efficiency mm. and it's more about walking faithfully in obedience so that God is glorified and our joy overflows. Mm. Um, and that's what Paul's getting at there. So when we're talking about wisdom literature, we're leaning into wise voices 
that God has shaped and blessed, and obviously it's been ordained that it's in our canon. Um, and we're leaning into this voice of saying, how do we walk wisely in a way that is faithful and obedient and good and true and beautiful with the time we've been given? Hmm. Um, so it's a little bit of a pivot there. That's a little bit of a nuance. It's less about efficiency, yeah. and it's more about like we've been given a set. We don't know the time, but we've been given a set amount of seconds like in our life. And currently, like we reside in the present evil age, and we're walking around outsiders. How do we do that yeah. wisely? So this question, "What do I do with my life?" Maybe yeah. it would be better phrased, "How do I do with my life?" Yeah, the question of what do I do with my life it gets us to where we need to be, but ultimately, it's actually not the right question, mm. which is kind of where we're going in this series. It's it's actually how, and um, you know, God's gonna take care of the where. He's going to place us in a where, yeah. and then we've got to figure out, okay, love God, love people, make disciples. These things are all overarching our walk. How hmm. do we walk with hmm. our lives? That's great. Yeah. How do we, um, so when you say wisdom literature, uh, how, do, how do we think about wisdom? How is it different than just like knowledge? Well, I think this is a really important question. That's a great question, Brad. Uh, you must have uh, prepared well because, unfortunately, in the kind of modern-day contemporary church, oftentimes we have distilled discipleship down into data download. And yeah. discipleship is not data download. Yeah. And so, yes, we need doctrine. Yes, we need theology. Yes, we need content even. Like, we need all these things. But to assume in a kind of standardized testing way that us absorbing some information about Jesus or some information about the Bible is walking in true discipleship and mentorship and apprenticeship with Jesus is a pretty wrong assumption to make. And so we would say wisdom is less about content overload. Mm -hmm. It's less about data, although data can be a part of wisdom. Wisdom is much more uh, the way in which we relate under the sun, going back to Solomon's language, being tethered directly to the above the sun creator of the universe, Mm. God. Mm. That's great. I think, you know, in Proverbs, right, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, We had a professor in grad school. He had a definition for wisdom, right? The Mm -hmm. skill and the art of godly living. Yes. Right? Which I love. Um, because it's this whole idea of applying general true things to new situations, mm-hmm. right? The Bible is is great in that it it contains everything needed for salvation. It contains everything that we need to know about God and His character yeah. and the world that we find ourselves in. But it doesn't tell us. Uh, it doesn't prescribe how we should uh, handle every unknown situation or every new thing that we encounter because it, it just wouldn't be possible, right? I mean, yeah. the, the book would be millions of pages long. Yeah. And I think that's the power of wisdom literature is it's like, hey, here's these general true things. If you get the general truth, like the, the skill comes into, can you apply that to situations that aren't one for one? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's not a formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's not calculus. Wisdom literature is not calculus. It's posture. Yeah. Um, it's pragmatic. 
um, it's these things much more than it is some kind of calculus of I'm going to put this into the vending machine and I'll get this out and then I'll have a direct answer of what job I should take and who I should marry and where I should live. Well, it's actually more about, okay, jobs, who you marry, where you live. These things are going to shake out, but it's actually how are you tethered to God walking beneath the sun? I mean, maybe a helpful illustration is like scuba diving, right? Like scuba diving, you've, you're always tied to your oxygen yep. and you're always tied to the boat that dropped you in the water. Uh-huh. And so you've got the ability to explore in the water and enjoy and find pleasure in the toil yeah. and, and all of that. But you will always have to be tethered to your oxygen and to your party in the boat. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I think we see that a lot in Ecclesiastes is... Solomon's experiencing all the under the sun realities. There's wickedness and there's injustice and there's pain. Mm-hmm. And so in themselves they're vain, but when you're tied to the above the sun God, you can find pleasure in your toil. And then Solomon says wild things, like there's nothing in better better in life than to enjoy your work mm-hmm. <laughs> and to enjoy the spouse of your youth. Which is kind of hyperbolic language, but he's kind of not kidding. Yeah. Like there's nothing better than to enjoy your lot in life. Yeah, and and again, going back to Solomon and his experience, he has other experiences which lead him to that conclusion. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so Ecclesiastes, we you know, we talked about it already. Who wrote it, Solomon? Um, how how does Ecclesiastes like? How is it different than other wisdom literature that we find in the Bible? So I think the most common example would be Proverbs, right? right. Which is a, a collection of wisdom sayings. When I open my Bible and I look at Proverbs, when I flip a few pages and I look at Ecclesiastes, the text looks different. Mm-hmm. So, so how? Do, yeah, what do we do with that? Yeah, it, it feels like Ecclesiastes is being written through tears mm-hmm. and pain and um, kind of a sober, somber realization of the things that Solomon has spent his um, chronos time on, but in the way in which the kairos time was not treated wisely. Hmm. And, um, you know, so where, whereas Proverbs feels a little more maybe exhortation of, hey, do this and you'll prosper. Yeah. Don't do this because you'll get bit. Yeah. Proverbs is very cause and effect. <laughs> like, yeah. can we recognize cause and effect in, in imagined scenarios down the road? Yeah. Whereas in Ecclesiastes, it's more like, hey, I hung around the courtroom all day and there's a ton of injustice and I saw that this was vanity. I mean, Solomon's just always crying out, yeah. vanity! You vanity know? of vanities. You know, yeah. he's not the guy you invite to speak at your TED Talk or conference. <laughs> Gosh, that'd be so depressing. Yeah. Yeah, Ecclesiastes is, is kind of a series of reflections, right? I think is like Koheleth, right? And is the, the word as he is looking on his life, as he is yes. reflecting on his existence, um, his time under the sun. And it's not always um, a super optimistic, like it doesn't read super optimistically. Yes. Right? Um, in the sense that there, there seems to be a, a very realized understanding that the world in which we live is fallen and broken. Yes. Yeah, very much so. I mean, we would say if the temptation inside the church is to undervalue non-explicitly sacred or Christian mm-hmm. work, 
the temptation outside the church is to overvalue it. And so Solomon just doesn't let us do that because he's saying, yeah, you can build the biggest kingdom you want. And at the end of the day, like it's not going to fill that void in your soul. (laughs) Nothing under the sun will fill the void in our souls. Yeah. It has to be above the sun. It has to be God who's out, you know, who created, but is in some ways right outside mm-hmm. the under the sun realities. He's not impacted by yeah. the brokenness of our world. And so, yeah, I mean, there's a, that's the, you know, we are what we do. We are what we work and our paycheck and our status and our cloud and, and where our position is and what we get to tell people we do for a living at parties and yeah. how, how interesting that is. Right. Yeah. Um, all of that, it can't fill the the void. It yeah. can't fill the hole, and, and, and it can't solve the curse yeah. that we see in Genesis 3. Yeah, that's good. Well, this week, uh, we looked at this idea that work is worship. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the handle that we used. Uh, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 13, and then 22. I'm going to read that. Mm-hmm. And then if there's anything that sticks out or, Chris, that you want to you know riff on a little bit more, um, we'll do that. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And then verse 22, so I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So kind of big picture um, from this week, right? Work is worship. Work is a gift that God has given us. Um, yeah. I think even you, you you kind of traced it even to look at uh, Revelation, right? Like there will be work that we continue um, to do, but... Um, yeah, what what stuck out to you? What yeah, what do you want to explore a little bit deeper from that? So the last couple words there of like who can guess what comes after him? Yeah. Um, again, this is another reason where it's like, okay, Solomon would know exactly what it's like because his sons are idiots, right? He builds a massive kingdom, yeah. he hands it off to the next generation, and they ruin it, and it just gets worse and worse yeah. and worse, and so. You can almost feel the pain in his heart of, yeah, even if you do an incredible job, like, you're going to die. Mm. <laughs> and there's no guarantee who handles your stuff after you die. So to build a kingdom out of stuff <laughs> or to build a kingdom out of yeah. achievement is pretty vain. And it, it can't be the thing that fills the eternities written on our hearts, which is such a beautiful line, mm-hmm. right? Eternities written on our hearts. And, you know, when we look at our hearts, when we experience the grace of God and the beauty of God and the truth of God, it resonates with us for two reasons. One, it feels like Eden more than Genesis 3 and the brokenness that comes. Mm -hmm. But also, it's a foretaste of eternity. So in some ways, eternity being written on our hearts when we experience God, mm-hmm. in some ways, it's almost like remembering a home that we didn't really get to live in, but we know mm. like that was home. 
And then it's also like a down payment. It's a foreshadow of what's to come that will even be greater than Eden because we start in a garden, we end in a city. There's some kind of progress happening mm-hmm. there. So um, what a beautiful line mm. that eternity is written on our hearts. Yeah, that's um, something you said there, Spark. When I was in, so I've been down to Guatemala several times, six, seven times, I think. Um, there's an orphanage down there outside of Guatemala City called Casa Bernabe. And um, there are, uh, they they make like all their bread for, um, yeah, for their meals. They, they make them, they have a, both they have a, like a tortilla sh- uh, shack that they make, and then they also, you know, they bake bread as well. And so you're walking down outside the kitchen and you just smell it. And it's like, there's something in that that you you can't like identify in the moment. Okay, that's baking bread. But then I, I'll, I'll smell that and instantly be transported back to that space, you know, in, in Guatemala. Yeah. And like, so I do think that, yeah, what you said there is that those emotions are powerful and that um, so much of life, we do get these little glimpses of, of a reality that's, that's larger than our moments. Um, and, and, and work is a way that we get to experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, what do we have? I mean, even just pastorally, right? You have a lot of young people who are really um, frazzled, right? With yeah. what do I do? Like have to find the right job. I have to have my plan in order. I need to know what to do. I need to just be able to answer questions when somebody asks me, Hey, what are you, what are you going to do with your life? Yeah. Um, and then the contrast, the retired person who maybe, you know, isn't working vocationally anymore. And yet they, they still have work. I think, I think we attach work and vocation together mm-hmm. and maybe we shouldn't always do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a good point because um, God has deeply important work for us to do at home, yeah, and in our churches, and in our friendships that we'll never get a paycheck for. But like changing diapers mm-hmm. is some of the most important work we'll ever do in our lives. So I think you're. It's incredibly wise of you, Brad, to point out that yeah, work and vocation are not always synonymous. Mm-hmm. But I do think as we're in the middle of the great resignation and there's labor shortages everywhere, I think what you see for millennials like myself and Gen Z that is not that much younger than me um, is a massive anxiety of if I want to make a difference in the world, if I want to leave my mark, Mm -hmm. right? Um, I just got to watch Hamilton last week, right? They want to take their shot. They want to make the most of their life. Um, then, you know, you almost feel like you have to bat a thousand, like I've got to get the right major and the right internship and I've got to do this job and I want to live here and I've got to marry this person. And in all of these things, there's no magical unicorn one for any of these things. Yeah. You could live different places. Yeah. You might work different jobs. Right. Like, um, you're probably not going to buy Twitter at any point in your life. Right. Right, exactly. And so there's, I think there is a massive anxiety of how do we leave our mark on the world, Mm. but in that it's duplicitous because in that we're building our kingdom. Mm. Yeah. And it's the same whisper, like you can be like God. That's what the whisper Mm. is. Mm. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, Anything else that you wanted to point out from uh, Ecclesiastes 3 or Genesis 2, Revelation 22, Isaiah 65? I'm just saying Genesis 2, like part of our image-bearingness is work. 
Yeah. Um, work exists pre-fall. It's yeah. not bad. So we can't just say, oh, yeah, it's a yeah, result yeah. of the fall. Um, and actually, you know, I think most people listening to this would resonate when you when you do a job really well, and especially if you get to do it with people you love, like yeah. there's a real sense of fulfillment. Yeah. And I do think that is a heartstring back to Eden. I don't think that's random. Um, we do feel like fulfillment and purpose and meaning and direction. And in yeah. the Christian life, is supposed to be one of direction and purpose. Mm-hmm. We're not just supposed to be blown by the wind every which way. Um, but at the same time, like there's going to be seasons in our life where direction is less clear. And so I would just say to the 25-year-old that still hasn't like landed on what they want to do for the next 30 years of their life, you know, you're okay. Yeah. Like it's going to be okay. Love God, love people, make disciples, use your Kairos time well, like the yeah. time that God has given you. And the specifics, you know, the particulars will work themselves out. Like what's your posture? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's one of the... Yeah, the interesting things is, you know, this whole idea of calling, I think we want to put a very, like, specific um, definition to, like, oh, God has called me to do this. Yes. Or to go and to do this or to be this. And at least as I read Scripture, I think the only thing we can ever be uh, confident in when it comes to calling is that God has called you to the place that you are. Yeah. Right? And if you weren't. If, if he didn't, you wouldn't be here. You'd be yeah. somewhere else. And so that whole posture of, well, how do I do that and handle that well Yeah, um, resonates a lot. My my parents, it's funny, right? My mom was a, uh, she was a history teacher for middle school. And my dad worked for uh, AT&T in their like customer service um, accounts manager kind of side of things. My mom loved her job. My dad hated his job. Um, but both went to work faithfully every day. Yeah. Both provided for our family. And it was interesting whenever I found myself getting ready to go to college and having conversations about, well, what kind of job or career do I want to do? The, the wisdom or the, the, the wording that was used often was, you know, by my mom, if you find something that you love, right, then that will change everything. Yeah. And I, I, I do, like, I don't disagree with her. Like, I found something that I love and it makes it really easy to go to work. Yeah. But the whole, that whole like, you know, familiar proverb of if you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life, I think is garbage mm-hmm. because it sets up work as this like enemy, yeah, this antagonist that, mm-hmm. it, that it never was designed or meant to be. Yeah. And at the end of the day, Solomon is still calling work toil. He's yeah. still using that vocabulary. Yeah. Yeah. So this idea of if you love what you do, there will, won't be a single hard day is, I mean, that's for fortune cookies. That's not yeah. biblical wisdom. Yeah, I've had a lot of hard days recently. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't mean it's bad. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think um, in the work itself matters, right? <laughs> like work is not just a means to a paycheck yeah. or to PTO or to vacation yeah. or so that you can do real work for the kingdom, like the work itself deeply matters. Yeah. Like to provide incredible work in the posture of Jesus Hmm. is vastly more important Hmm. than slapping the Christian fish thing on your company logo. 
right? Yeah. Like the work itself for sure. deeply matters. For sure. Uh, homework assignment for next week. Uh, there is a mockumentary called Kenny that I, I probably can't officially endorse because there's some language in it. But okay. um, it's the story of a um, a porter potty service man. Okay. And his reflections on his life, his experiences, what people uh, say to him about his job. And uh, basically he said, someone's got to do it. Mm-hmm. And he is providing a phenomenal service um, to the world. Again, it's not a documentary. It's a mockumentary. It's a movie. Uh, it's fun. Anyway, I will yeah. put a link uh, in the show notes that uh, you can... Uh, yeah, yeah. Watch it, um, enjoy it, and maybe uh, offer some reflections on uh, work as well. Well, Chris, thanks for joining this conversation. Uh, yeah. We'll pick it up again next week uh, for week two. In what do I do with my life? Uh, you can find this resource and more on our website, Calvary.Church/slash/What do I do? Or Calvary.Church/slash/Resources. And again, if you have any questions or anything, any comments, anything you want to follow up on, or would love to hear us talk about in future episodes. Uh, send us an email, podcast at calvary.church. Go in grace and peace and have a fantastic week. See you guys. Thanks for listening to The Deep Dive, a Calvary Church Media Productions podcast. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts.